Okay, so the reading this evening's from Genesis chapter 15, and that's on page 15 of our um, church Bibles. And it's starting at verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus. And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it, he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I shall gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and ill-treated four hundred years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking brazier with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, to your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we ask that you will open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. 
an Anglican, a Baptist, and a free church minister were in a rowing boat in the middle of a lake fishing. None of them had caught anything all morning. Uh, so the Baptist uh, stands up and uh, says he needs to answer a call of nature. Uh, so he gets out of the boat, walks on water to the shore, and then comes back 10 minutes later the same way. Uh, then the free church minister decides that he also needs to go to the bathroom. So he climbs out of the boat, walks on water, uh, and then a few minutes later comes back the same way. The Anglican looks at them both and uh, decides that his faith is just as strong uh, as his fishing buddies and that he too must be able to walk on water. So he stands up, excuses himself, steps out and makes a great big splash uh, as he falls down into the water. Well, the Baptist looks at the free church minister and says, well, I suppose we should have told him where the rocks were. <laughs> Stephen didn't laugh. I told Stephen that he had to laugh because I wasn't sure whether... <laughs> well, faith. We started studying uh, Abraham uh, last Sunday night and uh, a series of uh, talks uh, we're doing on these Sunday nights looking at the life of faith in the life of uh, Abraham. At this stage, he's still called Abram uh, and God will later lengthen his name uh, to Abraham. And we started to see last time, didn't we, that faith is not a wild leap into the dark or not like trying to kind of walk on water, sort of jumping into the impossible. Rather, uh, we started to see that it is taking a trustworthy God at his words. He is the rock. And if we trust in him, I suppose like in that joke, we can be confident that through whatever life throws at us, uh, even though it does look precarious at times, there are rocks to walk on. Here's the rock we can uh, walk on. And so we started to see, didn't we, that faith is not so much a quality within us, a thing that some have and some don't have. Rather, it's to do with the quality of the one in whom we are seeking to trust. Faith is trusting that God is trustworthy and then acting in the light of it. So Abraham, we've seen, is a man of faith. He's held up in the Bible as a brilliant example, the original almost example, as the man of faith. He trusts God's promises. Now remember those amazing promises, if you were here last time in chapter 12. You could sum them up as three great things. Hopefully they'll appear. Uh, Abraham was promised a people, uh, his own offspring, who would grow to be a great nation, uh, a land, which we discovered was the land of Canaan, and then blessing Abraham would have a great name, uh, and he would be a blessing uh, to others, uh, indeed, to all nations, ultimately. And Abraham trusted God to provide this, and we know that he did because he left Haran, uh, at the sort of northern tip of Iraq, and travelled uh, down to Canaan. So there's a map hopefully coming up, and um, can't find my pointer this time, but uh, you can see the little dotted line shows Abraham's journey. He starts off in Ur, which is down on near the sort of bottom of Iraq, all the way up to Haran, and then he comes down uh, to the land uh, of Canaan, which is where we are uh, today. But as you look at the life of faith in Abraham, you see that it's a bit of a roller coaster ride. Uh, it's, there's ups and downs, great challenges, uh, as well as great uh, joys, times of wobbling uh, and times of great heroism. And in a sense, Abraham is an example for us, because for us, life, the life of faith is often 
like that, trusting in God's promises, life can be full of ups and downs. There's not a smooth way to heaven. And I suppose it's true, isn't it, that amongst us tonight, if we were to sort of ask each other uh, how our faith uh, was going, uh, we would find a range of situations. Some of us may be feeling uh, heroic and really living for the Lord Jesus uh, at the moment. Others may be feeling just at rock bottom. Uh, And maybe you're thinking, how can I trust God? Uh, Because uh, life's actually really hard. Uh, Maybe some of you are thinking about the future and worried about it. You know, what's going to happen next year? Uh, Will I get a job? Will I get my grades for university? Uh, How will I cope with going away from home? Uh, Or maybe it's sickness or someone in the family who's sick. Or maybe you're feeling worried about a friend. Uh, You know, you're worried whether they're trusting in Jesus or not. Or maybe work just feels like it's spiralling out of control. And perhaps sometimes you think, maybe in the middle of the night, God, are you really in charge? Do you really care? Well, Genesis chapter 15 is a real encouragement. It's a a key moment uh, for Abraham uh, and, in fact, for the whole of the Bible's uh, story. It's a key moment for Abraham because he has this special time Uh, away with God. There are two nights, I think, involved here. Uh, So in verse uh, 5, he he looks up at the heavens, it's obviously night time, and then later on, uh, an evening comes, verse 12, the sun is setting. So it's like uh, Abraham has like a weekend away uh, with God, a a life-changing weekend away. And I suppose I should uh, therefore give a shameless plug to weekends away here. Um, We've already had... uh, Reminders of the Pathfinder one, the 18th to 25 weekend away. Uh, these can be really life-changing times away uh, with God and his word. Do make the most of them uh, as they come up. So it was a key moment for Abraham in his faith, in his walk with God, as we see him growing closer uh, to God uh, as we go along in his story. But it's also a key moment uh, in the whole Bible story, really key, Uh, There's lots of things that happen here for the first time. In particular, the phrase that someone believed God, someone put their faith in God. Uh, We saw Abraham's faith in action last time, but here it's actually spelt out uh, in verse uh, 6. Abraham believed the Lord. And then we get the first time uh, the phrase where God describes someone as being reckoned as righteous. Again there in verse Six. So 15 verse 6 is a really significant verse, sentence, in the whole Bible. It's referred back to lots and lots of times. So this is a really amazing and important chapter. Got two parts for it. Uh, verses 1 to 6, God's promise uh, of offspring is received by faith. And then second, God's promise uh, of a land is guaranteed by God himself. So let's have a look at verse uh, 1. And just a word, it says, it starts off after this. A word about what's just happened in the Abraham story, because we've, we've jumped two chapters. Uh, and in chapter uh, 14, uh, there's been a big battle, uh, a battle of nine armies. Uh, and um, on January the 24th this year, Bradford City uh, caused an upset uh, by beating the Premiership leaders, Chelsea, 4-2 away from home. An amazing victory by a minnow. Uh, over a superpower. Well, that's kind of what's just happened in this battle uh, in chapter 14. Uh, Abraham 
uh, with just 318 men, has defeated the king of Elam, uh, one of the Middle Eastern superpowers. And it seems that he's a little bit anxious about the aftermath. Maybe he's thinking, what have I done? I've annoyed this major superpower. Uh, maybe I should have just kept quiet and rather than take this great big risk to go and rescue uh, my nephew, Lot. Well, if Abraham's afraid, uh, God speaks to him to answer those fears. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. Interestingly, it's a vision, uh, but the content was a word. That is, seems to be always the way it is in the Bible. God's communication to humans is fundamentally by speaking uh, to us. And he says, you know, I know you're afraid, but remember, I am your shield, and I will be your shield. I will see to those Middle Eastern bullies around. The God who created the universe will stand up for you. Athanasius was a uh, Christian uh, in about sort of 300, 400 AD, uh, and he was quoted as saying, one person plus God is a majority, always. Well, that is the situation that uh, Abraham is reminded of here in verse 1. And I think it's quite striking, actually, isn't it? At the end of verse 1, God actually speaks of himself as the reward. If you give yourself to God, uh, if you give, give yourself to him, you receive him personally. And this actually is the greatest reward of all. Jesus described heaven in those terms, didn't he? Really knowing God in a living uh, relationship. Well, this life of faith that Abraham is in the middle of uh, is still not straightforward. He can still see the, 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 the sort of struggles he's got. Uh, and he's got some more concerns in verse 2. And actually, we can see that underlying his concern for his own security is this deeper concern uh, that he will have children, uh, that he will give birth uh, to a great nation as God promised. So verse 2, Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Now I don't think this is unbelief, because we've seen Abraham exercise faith a number of times until now. Rather, it's a believer struggling to put things into understanding. He's, he's kind of bringing his problems back to God and saying, God, you've promised this. You promised a great nation from me, but, but I haven't yet got a son. And it may be that this is around about 10 years after chapter 12. So Abraham is sort of in his 80s now. He's an old man. And so the emphasis here is, is really more on God. Rather than the sort of lack of faith in Abraham, it's Abraham bringing it to God in prayer and saying, I'm looking to you to sort it out. And, and you know, he says, I've followed the culture of my day. You know, I've found someone in my household uh, and I've appointed him my heir. But, but, but God, surely that isn't the answer. Uh, it, that's not what you promised, is it? And God says, no, it's not what I promised. Look at um, verse 4. He says, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He is going to have a real son. And with God's promise, God gives a sign. 
I'm going to see another sign later on in the chapter, but he gives a sign to him, and he takes him outside. Uh, it's night time, and he says, look at the sky and count the stars, if you can count them, and so shall your offspring be. They'll be like the stars uh, in the heavens, the descendants that you will have. Maybe you've been on holiday to a place uh, where there's not very much light pollution, and you really can see the stars, uh, and it really is amazing, isn't it? Uh, when you can. Uh, there are just so, so many of them. It's overwhelming. That's what it would have been like in the ancient Middle Eastern sky. And so just try and picture Abraham looking up at the heavens, trying to count the thousands and thousands of stars, and it's just impossible to do so, isn't it? In fact, studies recently keep, keep sort of suggesting there are more and more stars than we ever thought. Uh, I read uh, something about there being... 300 sextillion stars uh, now reckoned in the universe. That is um, three followed by 23 zeros, uh, which I can't get my head around. Uh, it's a very big number. We cannot count them. Uh, so amazing, a multitude uh, is God going to provide uh, of his people coming from Abraham. And Genesis chapter 1, of course, said it in a little sideline, God also made the stars. Uh, which is amazing to think about it. The God who put the stars in the sky uh, is the God who does keep his promises. Abraham, you need to take me at my word. And so it says, verse 6, this amazing verse, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him, <laughs> can't quite say that, credited it to him as righteousness. He does take God at his word. He looks at the promise, he looks at the God who makes the promise, and he says, I believe you are a promise-keeping God. Which is amazing, isn't it? Because at this stage, none of this has happened. Uh, but Abraham uh, reckons that God is trustworthy. His character is trustworthy, and so he puts uh, his trust in him. He bets everything uh, on him. The second half of verse 6 is a very uh, significant uh, statement uh, because it's credited to Abraham as righteousness. What does righteousness mean? Well, in the Bible throughout, righteousness refers to being in a right standing uh, with God. It means to be completely forgiven. Uh, it means to be perfectly pure in God's uh, sight. Now, throughout the Bible, there's only one who really is perfectly pure, and that is Jesus Christ. We cannot do this ourselves. Uh, we cannot, with our own hearts and lives, stand before a holy God. But here, amazingly, God credits it to Abraham. If you like, Abraham's got a bank uh, balance and it's in the deficit in the red. Uh, he can't uh, be right before God. But, but God credits his bank balance uh, and brings it up to perfection uh, simply because he took God at his words. Well, Paul, uh, writing uh, to the Romans uh, hundreds of years later, says that Abraham here is the model uh, of faith, uh, the model for all of us, the model for all of us who are trusting in Jesus Christ. It's exactly the same for us. All we need to do is trust in Christ, trust in his death for us on the cross, and we will be declared righteous. Uh, in God's sight. Righteous now uh, and on the day of judgment to come uh, we will be righteous then. All we need to do uh, is trust God.
God's promises in Christ. That's what you do to become uh, a Christian. Remember last time I described it as God's hand coming down from heaven. He makes, if you like, the promise to us. And all we simply do is grab with our empty hands onto his firm uh, hand. I can't sort myself out. I can't sort my sin out. But I trust God uh, and he does it. That's the way it works all through the Bible. Uh, Abraham here, right at the beginning, sets the standard, sets what it's like. Uh, and that's the way it still is for us today. Faith, then, is the way that we receive righteousness. It's not a reward for good work. It's not like we're given some wages uh, for being good, but it's a free gift that we receive uh, from God. So faith is the way you become a Christian. Faith is also the way you keep going as a Christian. The original language here in verse 6 implies an ongoing act, uh, something that will keep going. That's what we see in Abraham's life. It keeps going and it grows. It grows stronger, uh, which is what God wants it uh, to be doing. And wonderfully, because God's character is unchanging, our weak faith, as we grab hold of his hand, uh, he is our shield. He shields us uh, and does exactly uh, what he promises uh, to do. So think again for a moment of those things uh, that, 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 are you, that are worrying you. Uh, you know, things about the future, things about health, maybe this general election. Maybe you look at it and you think, actually, I'm quite concerned. Will we get a stable government? Will we get a government that respects Christian freedoms? When, when these sorts of questions were put at the candidates last week here, uh, it wasn't exactly that assuring uh, from some of the answers that they gave about Christian freedoms. But remember what Athanasius said, God plus one is a majority uh, always. So we too, whatever we might be worried about, if we look at this God, we can be assured uh, that he will keep his promises. So God's promise is to be received by faith. And then second, God's promise is guaranteed by God himself. That's the rest of this chapter. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? After verses 1 to 6, Abraham still has questions. Look at um, 7. He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give this land to you to take possession of it. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I shall gain possession of it? That's interesting, isn't it? And I think really encouraging for us that, that we still have questions uh, and we still may feel like we're wobbling. Uh, and Abraham was like that as well. Verses 1 to 6, he was wobbling over the question of the son and heir. And now his concern is the question uh, of the land. How will I know that I will gain possession of it? And again, it's, this isn't a faithless, uh, rebellious kind of questioning. It's, it's the struggling of someone with real faith. Maybe that's a a struggle that you know all about. You're struggling with God. What are you doing in my life, God? I know that you love me, but I don't understand what's going on. I know that you love me, but why are you allowing this thing to happen uh, to me, this difficulty, maybe this uncertainty? And if we're asking these kind of questions, it's great to know, isn't it, that we're not unusual, uh, because Abraham was asking these kind of questions. And he is held up to us as the model uh, of real uh, faith. Maybe you're struggling with questions of that. I've been struggling with a question of that. I've been looking for a job for the last eight or nine months. It's felt like an age. And I've seen other people get jobs 
uh, and I haven't. And you know, you ask, don't you, why do I have to wait? Well, Abraham asks this question of God, and God again gives him reassurance, and he gives him a sign, another sign, the sign that is also accompanied by an explanation, which is interesting. It's not the sign in and of itself that's important, but it's the explanation uh, of the sign. Look at um, verse 9. The Lord said, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these things to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he didn't cut in half. So he makes this pathway of carcasses cut in half. That perhaps sounds rather grim uh, and uh, rather uh, grisly. I just had to clear up a mess on my garden this afternoon where a, an animal had savaged a bird and there were bits around. It's grim. But this actually was, in his culture of the time, an acceptable thing to do. When two people made an agreement, a covenant together, or two nations, or two kings, uh, this was the sort of thing they did. They cut these animals in half, and they walked, they both walked between them in turn, uh, and it was as if they were saying, uh, if one of us breaks our solemn agreement, let us become like these animals, let us die. So this is from Jeremiah, which shows that this understanding was around. God says, the men who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walked between its pieces. Jeremiah 34, verse 18, if you're taking notes. So that's what's going on here. Uh, it's something that they did in their culture when they made these agreements. But before any of the walking happens, God gives an explanation. Uh, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and ill-treated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Well, God gives an explanation uh, of how this promise is going to work out. Uh, he says to Abraham, you're going to die in peace. Uh, you're only going to get actually a very tiny part of the land, your burial plot. And then your descendants will be taken off to another land, which we know is Egypt, uh, and they will be there for a long time and become slaves. But then they'll be rescued through the Exodus and then they will conquer the land uh, and they will put the inhabitants of the land, the Amorites and their others, all the other ites, uh, to the sword. But notice the timing is very long. It's 400 years, a really long time. These promises are not just going to happen straight away overnight. And it's really interesting, isn't it, the explanation for the time. It says... Uh, it's not yet time for judgment on the inhabitants of Canaan. It will be unjust for God to bring judgment on them now. He says, I'm going to give them another 400 years to turn from their sins, but then their time will be up. This is actually a really important verse as well, because it gives us just a different view 
of the Israelites conquering the land uh, but with Joshua. It wasn't an act of bloodthirsty ethnic cleansing. God had given the nation of the Canaanites 400 years to turn from their wickedness. And it was great wickedness. They did things like sacrificing children. Uh, their worship involved uh, sexual acts and all kinds of things. Uh, and they were given 400 years uh, to turn from it, but they didn't. And so we see here, don't we, God's timing isn't our timing. God, why haven't you done this yet? Well, his timing may be on just a different kind of way of looking at it than what we look at it. But we can see his timing is always right. He waits until the right time to bring his judgment on the Amorites. Well, this is the answer uh, to the promise. This is the explanation of the promise. And then we come back uh, in the final section to this ritual again with these carcasses. And what we see is that God himself ratifies the promise. Only God goes between the carcasses. Verse 17, when the sun had set and the darkness had had fallen, a smoking brazier, that is a kind of of oven, a smoking oven, uh, and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. And then you get the list of all the ites uh, who are inhabiting it at the moment. Do you see what God is doing here? The, the smoke and the fire, that makes you think, doesn't it, of the, the, the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire uh, that God led the Israelites out of Egypt uh, with. It's referring to God himself. God goes through the carcasses uh, and Abraham doesn't. Uh, God is completely taking the terms of agreement on himself. He's saying, if I break my promise, let me be like these uh, carcasses. We don't get a clear record of Abraham's response to this, unlike in verse 6. But we do see something of his faith, of course, as he drives away the vultures uh, and as he waits uh, for God uh, to act. But God, again, is demonstrating his trustworthiness uh, to keep his promises. He guarantees it by himself, by himself, only himself, going uh, between the carcasses. It all depends on him, uh, not uh, on Abraham. And unlike Abraham, of course, we've got 4,000 years history since to see uh, how God has been working it all out. And most importantly of all, we have got the cross where Jesus died When God walked between those carcasses, he was invoking the curse of death on himself, which is just an amazing little hint of what actually would happen on the cross. Jesus took the curse for our law-breaking and our sin on himself. Abraham was not asked to go through the carcasses. Only God did it, because God knew that Abraham couldn't do it. He couldn't keep his side uh, of the bargain We deserve death for not keeping God's commands. But Jesus took the judgment we deserve. All our sins went on him at the cross. Whenever we share the bread and the wine here on Sunday nights, we are reminding ourselves that God keeps his promises, that God uh, has done what he said he would do, uh, that Jesus died on the cross. Ultimately, the answer to this promise here to Abraham to give us the guarantee of his love. The cross 
guarantees uh, that God loves us 100%. The cross, actually, then, at the end of the day, is the ultimate answer to our doubts. Uh, We worry whether God will be good on his promises. Well, we can look to the cross and see there that Jesus did die for us. Uh, And we can know uh, that God is trustworthy. He cannot go back on his word. If we have grabbed onto his hand coming down to us, uh, then we know uh, that he is committed to us uh, and will keep it. God's promise is received by faith. God's promise is guaranteed by God himself, by Jesus dying on the cross for us. So how should we respond? How should we respond? Well, just think of those split animals uh, and the path to walk down. If we choose to ignore God and his promises, well, it'll be like uh, we uh, have to face uh, what uh, uh, those carcasses uh, have faced. We will have to face his judgment. uh, And that is a face, a faith, a fate, sorry, worse uh, than death. Uh, that, that is ultimately what will happen if, uh, if we don't trust God. But if we do trust him, then he has taken the judgment for us. Uh, if we keep trusting him, we will find uh, that he declares us in the right with him. He declares us righteous. And he guarantees it by the death of Jesus himself on the cross. So like Abraham, uh, we have many reasons to trust God and many more than Abraham did. So let's keep taking God at his word and trust him today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this amazing passage. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Thank you so much for the promise uh, to be received by faith. Thank you so much that you have guaranteed it to us by the cross of Jesus. May we be those who look to you uh, and discover that you are trustworthy. And so may we be those whose faith is strengthened as we go through our lives and walk towards your eternal kingdom. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.